Some people celebrate the holidays, but you, you dominate the holidays. You deck the halls, the mantle, and anything else that will stand still. You deserve a bold cold brew that's as festive as you. Topped with creamy cookie butter cold foam, covered in cookie butter crumbles, and perfectly pairable with our new cookie butter donut, Dunkin's Cookie Butter Cold Brew is a delicious match for your decked out domination. America runs on Dunkin. Present participation may vary, limited time offer, terms apply. It was a life, and it's now no longer life. It's a person because they're talking about what would you want to do with the ashes? And yeah. How do you want to proceed in that respect? Do you, yeah, like, do you want to bury it? Do you want to bury it? And to do you help. want to have a service for it? And you think, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. And so that, that again plays emotionally like, wow, what do you do? But out of that, I do remember thinking, and we were having conversations like, we know it can happen now. Yeah. So that's let's just rest in the Lord on yeah. that. Like, we just wait. We know it can happen. It's up to God now as yeah. to when that might happen again. Yeah. And we'll just keep trying. And from that, there was a sense of peace. Yeah. But it was a long time well, till the next one. Yeah. So essentially, we had two years of just nothing. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. Welcome to my guests for tonight, John and Laura Elliott. How are you both? Very well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So the second interview I've been able to do in person, socially distanced, you have to say that now. I do. But it's great to be with you and to hear a little bit about your story. So my first question is always... What was your home life like and what influence, if any, did Christianity play? So perhaps, Laura, you can answer that question first. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. I was always in church from as long as I can remember. I went to church every week in Sunday school. I became a Christian when I was 10 at a camp and continued going to church and being involved in the church until I came up to Newcastle for university and continued on in a church up here. My grandparents were missionaries, so obviously had quite a strong Christian influence from that respect as well. Church life is always really what has been part of my life prior to becoming saved. Did you find that having missionary grandparents created a pressure? It would be a very different home if I'd been growing up in my grandparents' house. (laughs) (laughs) I would say they were definitely more strict. And I remember when I was young and they would come, they were definitely more strict as missionaries and as grandparents. And I think that probably appealed to the side of acting out more than trying to appease them. The music was probably always a little bit louder when they came to stay. And just as kids, you try and press all the buttons, don't you? But they were also very loving grandparents. And I think in terms of my home life, I wouldn't say that there was a pressure. I think it was just an influence there. My dad worked away a lot, so I wasn't always able to be in church. Our parents just let us make the decision as much as possible. And John, what about your upbringing? Was there any Christian influence there? Yeah, but not as much as, as Laura. So my mum and dad went to a Methodist church, more so my mum, heavily involved with, say, like the boys' brigade. To be honest, I wasn't really interested in church life. 
it wasn't something that we would do and read the Bible or pray around the table or anything like for meals or anything like that. So, yes, I would go like on Sundays every now and again. I'd be involved with, say, like the boys' brigade, but yeah, that was kind of to the extent of it. I was christened as a, as a child, so naturally, I think at that time, I would say, yes, I was a Christian. Clearly, I wasn't, but yeah, like I didn't have the influence, I would say, that Lord had when, when I was growing up. And yeah, like I actually became a Christian in December 2006, and a bit of a strange journey for me. For quite a number of years, I was quite bitter and angry towards, not necessarily towards Christians, but certainly towards God. When I was 13, my mum died of ovarian cancer, and that was really, really tough to go through, and I found that really hard to deal with. Certainly for me, being 13 years old, and my friends, they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to talk to me, apart from one guy who I'm really, really friends with. His name's Barnaby. 20-odd years later, we're still best friends, and he kind of, to know, he just listened. He just didn't ask questions. He just listened to me. And that was really useful. But yeah, for a very long time, I, I suppose I was quite angry with a lot of questions like why. My mum didn't seem to be a bad person. And then I played football for City Church in the Christian League on a Saturday, 11 aside, and that was great fun. And they would run various events like, you know, come along to City Church on an evening or something. And you'd go along and it'd be fine, but I wasn't necessarily interested. I was more going with the lads, you know, it was something to do and, and it was fine. Um, I was actually playing for City Church on a Saturday. Uh, one of our teammates died. He went for a slide and tackle, and, but he didn't get up. And, and it was just a freak accident. He collided with another player from the opposition. And, and yeah, his heart stopped on the pitch. And just like literally within that instant, I mean, I must have been about 10 metres away from when it happened. And it was just a really frightening experience to think a football game, you played football, and he was he's a completely healthy guy. And for some reason, the most obscure incident happened and yeah he died there right in front of us and obviously we tried CPR and tried to get him back unfortunately it just wasn't the bait and I think I remember driving home and I rang Laura straight away in the car and saying look I know I'm not a Christian but I know you are but can you just pray for him and, and like hopefully you know you can pull through like some miraculous thing happened and unfortunately it didn't happen but certainly from that moment like the next day I became a Christian because something clicked as like life is so fragile. Like even playing football, you can die. Which sounds really stupid to think like that. Yeah, it had a massive impact on me. Part of the journey. It's well. part of my journey. I mean, I've missed out a huge gap. Out there. I'm not going to lie. Like obviously, going from when being angry about God to then suddenly becoming a Christian, there was there's a huge gap there, which I can go into if you want me to. But like your testimony. Yeah, yeah. I was doing the Alpha course. Oh, yeah. Out through City Church, I kind of. Andy Brown, who, who's a good friend as well, and he kind of, he was kind of more asking more probing questions, like, well, why are you angry? What issues do you have? Why don't you come along to the Alpha course? And and you know what? This, we have doctors, we have scientists, we have uh, atheists who come along. It doesn't matter who you are. Come along, have a meal, sit down with us around the table. There's topics for each night. And we can discuss them. And we actually have a really good conversation. I was like, do you know what? I'll give it a chance. I'll give it a go not thinking much of it, and you could ask really awkward questions. And I thought I did, and other people would ask more awkward questions than me. Sometimes they didn't have the answers, but they would say, I'll come back to you. It was quite quite eye-opening, and I kind of got to realise, talking about sin and the fallen world and, and, and so on, you know, and it kind of changed my perspective. And I suppose some people hearing this might think that's a bit odd, but... I lost, you were searching at the time. I was searching because I didn't, there was a lot going on still and I just felt 
I needed some answers and no one could really answer those for me. Almost like actually running head on into it was useful because it then gave me the opportunity to ask those questions yeah. rather than just kind of being on the outskirts, poking the hornet's nest, if you want to say, saying like, I'm angry with you, but you know what? I'm not going to go and ask the right questions. I'm not going to go and do my research and, and look into it and try and find answers to that. It's almost like, I don't care. I'm just angry and I want to be angry about something and, and that's it. And, and my brother tried, he was having conversations with me and I kind of was just like, yeah, whatever. If that's what you want to believe, that's absolutely fine. And then he again said to me, like, Andy, uh, City Church is doing an alpha course. It'd be great for you to come along. I said, do you know what? Yeah, okay, let's go. And that's kind of where it started. And then that's where I said to Lauren, quite please pray for this guy. And then the next day, I remember I was at City Church, actually, and I went on a Sunday morning and they mentioned about the football. And the guy at the front, was like one of the one of the leaders, I think, someone said, I've got just someone, I feel like someone is really, like, wants to commit their lives to Jesus, but is too afraid to do so and something big's happened in the last kind of few days. If that's you, then you don't have to stand up, but just be assured that God wants to be with you, wants you, wants you to be reconciled to him. And I was like, wow, just felt like he was directly talking to me. There wasn't any prompts for it. He just kind of came out with it and it was like, wow. I'd also taken you to some gospel meetings as well. And Yeah. Just to interject. How did you two actually meet? Because you referenced a few times, yeah. you're not a Christian, Laura is, you know, you've reached out to this Christian friend for prayer and things, but how did mm. you actually meet? Uh, through friends. Friends of mine from uni knew John. So John had gone to Northumbria Uni and graduated, but knew friends of mine who were at uni with me. Yeah. And so we met a couple of times through the time I was at uni. I kind of knew you, like who you were. Yeah. I, sort of, I didn't like know you, but I knew, oh, that's Laura. And then when I graduated, the group of us all met a friends for a barbecue in the summer and John was there. So we kind of got chatting that night. And then when I graduated, all of us sort of were in fairly junior positions. So I had a lot more time to sort of email um, when we were at work and hmm. John was perhaps had a bit more time on his hands. So we would do a bit of emailing as a group. So chatted that way. And then um, fireworks night, I think it was, hmm. a group of us all went to see the fireworks and I got in the car with John to show him where to go afterwards. It was a quiz night at yeah. the Lonsdale pub in Jesmond. Yeah. That was about maybe 10 of us, yeah. 12 of us going. And John told me he didn't know where it was. I mean, I'm from the northeast. I know where the Lonsdale pub is, so I'm <laughs> not stupid. But I got in the car with you and we were chatting and then we got to the pub and we were still chatting and he let me know that he was doing the Alpha course and I thought, oh, this is interesting. Um, <laughs> so that was your chat away, was it? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing the Alpha, alpha course. course. <laughs> yeah, we want to pick up a girl, doing the Alpha course, you're in. That was good. It was nice because it, it, it kind of just felt normal and natural. We'd known each other for so long, mm-hmm. which was really nice, kind of just getting on and getting to know each other. And then John invited me home after dinner. He did. He ghosted me. That's what they call it, isn't it? When (laughs) you ring someone and they don't pick up. Yeah. I rang Laura because I'd obviously done the Alpha course a couple of times at some of the events, like some of the evenings. And then I thought, I'll ring Laura and see if she wants to come over for dinner. And then I rang her and didn't pick up. And then Laura actually had the phone in front of her, apparently. (laughs) 
and just didn't bother answering because she was too afraid to answer my phone call. But you did call me back. I did. Yeah. She was waiting until you completed the course. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you came over for dinner and kind of just chatted a bit more. But we didn't actually start going out until I became a Christian. Yeah, I didn't want to put pressure. For me, it was important to to date someone that had similar values to me. And I didn't want to put any pressure on John to say, you must be a Christian before we go out. I just wanted him to come to it himself and mm. and just see what happened. And I went to a couple of the Alpha sessions with you and you came to my church. And, you know, we did a lot of talking before we decided that we'd get together and... yeah. Have our first kiss. Yeah. <laughs> in a car park. In a car park. Yeah. So long as your relationship seems to be, you know, in a car. <laughs> in a car, in a car. It's very unromantic. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's interesting to listen to the gospel message. It was so hard to hear and that, man, I've got a decision to make. And you felt and quite conflicted. That I felt really you? conflicted. I remember like, yeah. I understood the message, but at the same time, I wasn't ready. I'm like... I don't believe I'm a sinner. I don't believe I've done something wrong, so I don't understand why. And I was still wrestling with that. And and I remember for quite a number of weeks chatting to you and you were kind of saying, well, this is it, but, like, it's your decision. It's, you know, you never put any pressure on me to do that. And we would often discuss different things. And if you didn't know, you maybe you'd refer me to your, your granddad and maybe he would answer some questions. And the other people, like Matt Smith, I walked in and, and Matt was like, oh, hi, like, great to see you here. And then he's like, I read just start to start the Gospels, read from Matthew, and like give me a Bible. I kind of went from there, really, and that was kind of I wouldn't say it was a genuine, like a real interest just then, but I was I was interested to to a point where I was like, okay. Growing up with a Christian influence, whether it's nominal or not, does it make it more difficult to become a Christian? I hadn't heard the Gospel message. Okay, if I'm being honest, like the way that it's probably talked about now, or. If it had, I was completely oblivious to it. Whereas I was just not prepared or not wanting to listen. I certainly don't recall, you know, obviously I knew about Jesus dying on the cross at Easter time and stuff, so, and rising from the dead and, and, you know, and exactly what he did. But it didn't really resonate to me really what that meant for me. And, and no one explained to me that is the gospel message. And so when people say I was Christian as a child, it doesn't mean you're Christian, like, but it did at the time. So, like, well, I'm Christian. Probably you ask the majority of people around the world, or certainly in the UK, so oh, are you Christian? They've been Christian. Yeah, I'm Christian. Yeah. But, like, that, I didn't understand what that meant. I thought I did, but I didn't. It gives you false hope, thinking, well, I'm born as a Christian, and you're not. And the Bible quite clearly teaches that actually that isn't the case, and there's a need for an action on your part yeah. to do something. And actually, by just having a christening, it means that almost like you can live whatever life you want and God will forgive you. And, and that's totally not the truth. And the saddest thing is I think it's, they're some of the hardest people to reach with the gospel because they're like, well, I'm already a Christian. I know. It, it's almost easier for someone who has had no Christian influence because they've never had that step, if that makes sense. Yeah. I sometimes think that, though, because I, I grew up in a Christian home and you know i'm grateful for that but i always think actually the realization of how powerful the gospel message is and therefore then the transformation and the impact that it must have on your life must be more stark if it's just almost new to you not that you know i would change that but i think there's often times where 
you almost you want to say that like that conversion prayer again almost because you're like I don't feel like you know I'm hugely different from yesterday whereas some people have had really big transformations obviously from the lives that they had before yeah when you're in a kind of Christian home you kind of Nothing much changes. Nothing huge amount changes, does it? Gosh, I should say that it probably, you know, that that is the transformation is is significant, but it's you know it's different, isn't it? For me, growing up, my family was stable. Obviously, with the death of my mum, like that changed massively. My dad was me and my two older brothers. My dad had to retire really to look after us because. 13 and 17, 18, and a, a 20, 21 year old. It's like, has a lot to deal with at home. So, yeah, my dad had to take on a lot of responsibility very quickly. I went off the rails for a good two or three years. I mean, I scraped through my GCSEs. I got the exams needed to, to kind of get on to do sixth form and A levels. Certainly between the ages of, say, 13 and 15, I was just going out, doing drugs, drinking a bit, and just basically just didn't care because no one listened to me no one really understood what I was going through and then it wasn't until I got to like A levels I kind of like actually what am I doing I kind of almost like matured a little bit and then it was weird I remember being at school I don't know if you found this but I I being at school and, and going to sixth form the noticeable difference between how teachers treated you between sixth formers and GCSEs it was almost like over the summer they just gave you loads of respect and it was almost like, well, you've got to deal with yourself now. Like, I'll help you, but ultimately... A lot more independence. A lot more independence. It's like, this time table, if you don't come to class, that's your fault. Yours going to fail. But I'm not going to chase you. Whereas, obviously, when you're doing your season, like, you're de- on detention because, you know, you know, I'm doing the homework or you're not in class and stuff. But kind of at A-level, then we're just kind of, well, it's up to you. We want you to help you and stuff. And it was a breath of fresh air. And it almost felt like, wow... Like, no one's on my back anymore. It was really nice, and I kind of just... It was a bit of a wake-up call for me. And I really liked that, and I kind of started to knuckle down and, and do work, and I really enjoyed that. So just to move the story on, when did you two get married? John proposed in December 2006. Uh, seven. John, John proposed... So it was a good start. <laughs> so John proposed in December 2007. And we got married at the end of June, well, the 30th of June, 2008, which was probably quite quick. I remember, I mean, most of the organisation was fine. I just remember going to try and get a dress and all the dress shops almost fallen over in shock that I wanted a dress within six months because apparently that's not doable. But anyway, I made it happen. Did I just buy one of the ones hanging up? (laughs) Well, I did actually get one that was on sale and so didn't need much altering or pre-making or whatever it was. We didn't really want to kind of hang around for ages. And I think another reason was that by that point, my dad had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease and we wanted him to be part of the day as much as possible. And at that point, when we got married, he was in a wheelchair. So he couldn't walk me down the aisle, but he came down the aisle with me. That was really special and important that he was part of it and with there with me. Your dad married us. Yeah. <laughs> John forgot his name. <laughs> I was just going to mention that. I forgot my name. Even in, even in the practice the day before, <laughs> I forgot my name at exactly the same point. Yeah. And even like Bill had said, 
that's your name, John. Don't forget it. And I said, I won't. The next day, we actually did it. I forgot my name at exactly the same point. I mean, <laughs> they yeah. broke the ice. It was quite funny. Everyone laughed. And yeah, kind of a bit of lighthearted moment. Yeah, good. that was a lovely day. So two things stand out for me from your win was, you know, I think it's an emotional time anyway, but to see your dad come down the aisle with you, his wheelchair, I think dad then had to kind of swallow his emotions to then be able to cope. But as you say, that atmosphere was broken by you, Dad saying your name, <laughs> and then you forgetting yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know why I forgot it? The funny thing is, there's the line that says "Why I," and then you say a name. And even to now, like whenever I hear, it, I always think of the Jody phrase "Why I." So it just kind of like "Why I, man?" Like you know, I, I just can't get out of my head. So when someone <laughs> says that, I just. I just forgot my name. So that, that's what I was going on in my head at the time when your dad had mentioned that. Just, yeah, a bit of a silly thing. But but the thing is, once you have that funny moment, and I think it's it's common in weddings, once there's that awkward something happens, everyone then settles down and it kind of goes. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why we're doing the interview today is because having heard Graham and Sheree's episode, which was episode one of Testimony Podcast, it seemed to resonate with you both and your story has some very similar traits. Mm -hmm. So perhaps you could take the story up from after the wedding. Yeah, our story is similar, but not, we haven't lost a child. Yeah, a lot of what they said resonated. So yeah, I guess after we got married, we didn't want kids straight away. I don't yeah. think we were still quite young. Definitely all our friends thought we were very young to be unmarried. Um, yeah. And we were the first to get married out of all of our friends. Fortunate to travel together yeah. and do all those lovely couple honeymoon type experiences. New York. <laughs> uh, yeah. New York, New Zealand, Australia, yeah. Singapore. Oh, we just did a lot of travelling, didn't yeah. we? When we could, in between all the work. Yeah. But we didn't know that we wanted to start a family. And I remember even in coming up to 2011, we thought, yeah, well, like now's a good time. We've been married two, three years. And I remember saying to my dad, actually, I think we're going to try and have a family. And by that point, you know, he was quite ill and he died in March 2011. It was shortly before that that, you know, I remember us kind of consciously making an effort to try I think like most couples, we maybe have that sort of plan in our head of this is how it's going to work and we're just going to try and then it might not happen straight away. But, you know, in a few months time, we'll, we'll be pregnant and didn't really think much of it, did we? No, you um, just kind of, because no one talks about it, you kind of just think it's an easy thing. Everyone has a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, you think the process, like you say, might not yeah. happen straight away, but within a couple of us, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be pregnant. Yeah. And, and we had it planned, I kind of planned out in our heads, you know, what we thought it might look like. And I think have we moved into, so have we moved yeah, we, to our first house? We, we moved out of the flat that we were, we were in and we bought our first house together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we were in our first house by that yeah. point. Carleton. Yeah. Carleton, yeah. And, yeah. And, um, so, yeah. yeah, we had the family house. We had stable jobs you know everything like that so and in the end sort of to jump right to the end it, it basically it took us seven years to have a baby which is quite a biblical number thankfully it wasn't the other big biblical number of 40 years so <laughs> that's much better but it was a huge journey for us and we had issues first off with infertility and then miscarriages so we had two big hurdles really to overcome yeah. and we thought that after a while of trying it just wasn't happening and we went through all these tests at the hospital and 
they couldn't, you know, there wasn't a real reason. I would get tested. You were fine. I would get tested and several times over the course of several months and the results seemed to be indifferent. Yeah. So there wasn't necessarily one thing. Like a root cause. A definite root cause. Every time, certainly for me, it was like, oh, this counts maybe low, but this counts high. And then you do it again, like a few months later, because we still went pregnant, and they're like, oh, well, this counts now high, and this counts now low. Like, mm. How does that happen? Well, have you changed your diet? I'm like, no, I've been doing some running as I normally would, or yeah. playing football. Or like a, they were trying to do all the right things. Yeah. Like the, um, think, whilst trying to stay relaxed about it, yeah. by that point, you're starting to get a little bit worried. And so after a while, we decided that, and the hospital had suggested that we might want to consider IVF. So we started our journey of IVF in, I think it was probably around 2013 that we started. But that was a part of the decision to come yeah. to as well, because I've never really heard of it. I've heard of IVF, but I didn't really know the process involved with it. And then obviously going to, say, the hospital where they had like a class as an open evening for couples who were struggling themselves and you go and actually the amount of couples that were there was packed it was like I was like wow I thought we were a minority but actually there was a lot of couples it was easier than 15 maybe 20 couples there you think okay we're not alone in this but clearly no one talks about it and, and it, it's difficult but here kind of the process of IVF and maybe some other treatments not just IVF like Uncle ICSI part, part, part of the IVF process and you think okay it's definitely a lot more complex than I was anticipating. And then kind of like coming away from those meetings or that meeting and thinking, is this something that we still want to do? Is it, does it feel right? And obviously we would pray about that and ultimately come to the decision where we felt like it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. And I think we, to go we still do. Yeah, I don't look back at it and think, actually, I wish we hadn't have done that. I definitely don't. I think we also thought that would be the answer. You know, we mm-hmm. thought um, up here you get three rounds free on the NHS of IVF. And we just thought after one, probably even the second time, if it got to that, that it would be a done deal. And we had complete faith almost in the system. And we had faith in God that, you know, if, if it was his will, that we just needed a bit of help along the way and, and that would happen. Yeah, and- because the information they give the doctors and nurses give you is that, you're boosting your chances by a significant percentage by going through that process. But ultimately, the cells still need to develop yeah. on their own. They can't control that. But what they can do is put the sperm they can, together and, 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 and try to do that. But then after that, it is down to like, it, almost like... It's down to God. It's down really. to God, but it's in God's hands. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, and then you kind of, it's a waiting game. Yeah. And then you go back in a few days later and they analyze them. And they, they say, tell you how many embryos they grade them, and you know, I don't know, you grade them, and then they grade them like on a kind of scale, like one to ten or something, or one to five, and 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 they kind of say, of that's no good, that's no good, yeah, like that one's okay, that one's not so, and it, and you almost feel, I'll be honest, when you get the results back, you think before, yeah, I was you know confident, yes, yes, we're gonna have like one or two, we can put back in, and then you get anything, okay, the grades aren't too good. So actually the chances aren't too good, but it's still better than the chances that we had before. So we'll, we'll go with it. And it's, it's like a long process. It's, it's obviously physically demanding on me. I mean, to be fair, John's role wasn't too significant in terms of input on the body, but, but mentally it's extremely stressful. By that point, by the time you get to IVF in the journey of trying to have a family, it's all consuming. Yeah. 
there's no two ways about it. it it is everything that you think about and you hope for and you just want to get to that starting point to start the IVF because in my mind that was what was going to fix it that was we just needed to do the IVF and then we would be pregnant and then everything would be fine and the pressure by the time you go to the various appointments through the process and they tell you, you know, how your embryos are getting, like how many eggs you've got, how many embryos you have. And, and then the day of the operation, when the embryos are put in, then there's more, there's I think two weeks more of waiting and oh, you want to wrap yourself up in cotton wool and lots of praying and, and just all the hopes. And by the, the second or third time that we went in for the IVF, we were just all the pressure and they told us good news about how good the embryos were and we were I was just in tears because of all the pressure that had just built up and all that hope and sadly after each round none of you know each round was unsuccessful and whilst it looked positive they didn't take so we did all three rounds between probably over a year and a half between 2013 to early 2014 yeah yeah and at the end of that yeah with you know no success that was that was really hard because for us we knew that yeah that medically unless we paid for another round but mentally and physically, I think we just didn't feel that we had it in us. I think we was we we were just done, weren't we? Yeah. We were just like completely rock bottom emotionally. We were just like, we can't, I can't go through this anymore. But strangely, at the same time, we didn't think it was over. Yeah, but I I remember it was my birthday, and I got we got the results on my yeah. birthday. We we went to the shops, and we knew it wasn't it wasn't gonna happen. We got the results, and we. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're, you're kind of deflated, but at the same time, you, I said to her, I was feeling like this huge, massive weight has just been released from my shoulders. Like, I'm absolutely demoralised. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But at the same time, now I'm like, well, we've done the three. Unless you pay for it, which we're not, because it was a lot of money, then can't do any more. There's nothing more that we can do. So that is it. And hopefully it'll happen. We still felt like it would happen in the future. We never really felt like it wouldn't. It yeah. was just, a, it was more of a now becoming a waiting game. And I certainly remember like suddenly walking around and thinking, wow, like I feel a lot of release of like just, oh, I can breathe again. But at the same time, I still devastated. You're still devastated, and you're looking around and you're seeing people with young families and, and young children, and, and and certainly, you know, you hear the news of say a friend, or some, you know, like oh, we're pregnant, and you're like, you're happy for them, abs- delighted for them, oh, absolutely delighted for them, you genuinely are. But there's also a piece of you that's absolutely gutted, yeah, because it's not it's not you, it's not you know, and and so there were certain sometimes like. We would we'd get home and we would just cry because it was just heartbreaking to hear, wow, why can't it be us? Yeah, what, what, why, what, why, why, is, it why is it not us? And I think then, and what, through that, you know, that time of the IVF and then also again through the miscarriages, that it's, there's so much questioning. And I think it must be the same in any life event, but for us, it was, you know, around the infertility and, and the, the desire for wanting a family is that constant questioning of yourself and is it is it something that I've done previously is it why is God not 
blessing us with a, a family and a child and is he punishing us and mm. is there a, you know what can I do to almost bargain with God to make God happy that you he would give us a child and you even when you're praying you're having this like well God if I you know do this a bit more or you're just trying to rack your brain as to why that's not happening and it wasn't until a good friend said to me our God is a loving God and I know that he's a loving God but at the same time and I know that he disciplines he might have been disciplining but I think in my heart I know that that's not the kind of God that he is to willingly take children away especially in this the case of miscarriage it wasn't that kind of relationship and that te- sort of teaching us disciplining that God was doing but you still you're questioning the whole time and just wondering well why you know why 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 we're ready for it it just seems right every time we're married we we seem to be you know we're doing things right you would think like there is no better time yeah like, and, you'd be like, like yeah. why is it why is it not happening and i think also it always used to kind of grate on me when people said you've been blessed with a child and i was thinking well like I get that obviously children are a complete blessing and I was like well why are we not being blessed <laughs> and then so I really I had an issue with blessing for quite a long time and yeah that that waiting was really hard in our hearts I think we still felt like it wasn't over but mm. we just needed a rest and shortly after that point in February we went on holiday and went to Mexico and yes. had the most amazing time. Best holiday ever. We completely switched off. Um, it was That's all brilliant. inclusive. It was amazing. Um, I think and we just thought... We just we, had time in, for ourselves. Yeah, we just complete. Do you know what? We kind of... We paid a little bit more for than we normally would for holiday, but we felt like we deserved it. Mm-hmm. And we thought, let's go somewhere that's nice and just totally relax and switch off in a nice warm environment. And mm-hmm. we did that, and it was for two weeks. It was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And we didn't think about anything else. We yeah. just kind of... I did a lot of sleeping, I'm not going to lie, because I was so tired and Lord of the same. Yeah. And, and, and But we just had a lot of time for yeah. us and kind of almost switching off from thinking about it. And shortly after getting back we found out we were pregnant just could not believe it no we were like wow like surprised by it all and just yeah yeah blew us away yeah and we just thought oh clearly this is god saying do you know what it's my timing and and now you're pregnant i thought great and the job i was in at the time i was getting ready to leave so that timing was sort of seeming to be perfect and the job i was going to was going to be sort of a fixed term maternity cover kind of thing so we thought everything is lining up you know it was all going really well we got to June and our wedding anniversary. Wedding anniversary. We went out for dinner and had yeah. a lovely evening back actually at the where we had our reception. Yeah. And then got home that night and Dad started bleeding. And by that point, I was about 10. So about, about 10, 10 weeks. weeks. We're not far off the 12 weeks. Yeah, not far off the 12-week scan. And I'd felt completely fine and excited. And from the minute that you find out that you're pregnant as at least as a woman, within the space of the next 24 hours, you have got the next nine months planned. You've got the nursery decorated. You've got, in my, anyway, I'm quite organized, but the whole logistics are sorted in my head completely. The whole life plan is done. And it's chosen. Yeah, yeah. no, it's chosen. Probably not that much at that point, but you have that, you know, to you, that in, when you find out that is, that is a life and that is a person and, and a hope and, from that point onwards so we 
obviously had no real experience of miscarriage. Um, we hoped that it wasn't a miscarriage, but I think it was sort of late in the afternoon, so we had to wait. I think we went into hospital fairly late on that afternoon, and oh, there was no one to scan us. I remember sitting there, just it was waited, really hot in this room, big room, and there was, there was just no one else there. Yeah. And we just sat there and, and waited, waited and waited and waited. And I was just getting more bothered and more annoyed because no one was, like, coming to see us. And, the and like, we just knew something was wrong. Most likely it was me or miscarriage, which was heartbreaking in itself. And then I it just, just, like, thought, oh, just someone, just someone come and deal with us, please. It was just really, really important. But I think we had to go back the next day because there was no one there yeah. with a scanner. And I just thought, we're in a hospital. I know there's a scanner somewhere. Why can't someone just get scanners? Anyway, so we went back the next day and it was confirmed that we were miscarrying. There was no heartbeat. And I just remember completely breaking down in that room yeah. and just thinking, what are we going to do? I remember saying to you, what are we going to do? Like, this is, you know, our whole life plan. Like, you know, everything that we had got in our heads, it just had seemed so perfect. I had to go through a few more tests. They thought it was something called a molar pregnancy. So... In the end, I had to have an operation to remove the, the fetus rather than have it naturally. So that was obviously quite traumatic. Yeah. And you just feel broken at the end of it. And again, that questioning. So that was 2014. One question that I've had while you've been talking is that throughout the experience of trying naturally mm-hmm. and then IVF and then this first pregnancy... Mm-hmm. How much do you share with people? How comfortable were you talking to friends and family and people in church about your experiences? Is it something you think is not spoken about much? Uh, do many people know well, what you're going through? My family knew. My, like my mum knew what we were going through. Our close friends knew what we were A couple, going really through. Not, not all of our friends. Yeah. We didn't. You know, we're not big on social media in terms of our private lives so you know it's not something we shared widely and I think at the time probably not too many people at a church knew and I think just because we thought you know it was fixable I suppose but I do yeah I do think that infertility especially in churches in my experience it's acknowledged but not talked about and that's indicative actually of the wider world and miscarriage definitely is not talked about that's starting to change in society now but one in four women have a miscarriage and actually when you start talking to women especially that in our church now so many women have had miscarriages and it's so normal I think part of the problem is that people wait till 12 weeks this magical 12 week point and then announce the pregnancy and I can understand doing that but then if you have a miscarriage before that and you lose a child because people don't know it's this silent grief that you go through you and it's not that our church wasn't supportive we've shared that with people and you know now it's something that we very happily and openly talk about um and (laughs) well exactly um And I think it is important to talk about it because to just know that you're not alone and to know how normal the experience is. And so many couples, even friends of ours, you know, have this life plan of, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that, and then I'll have a baby. And I think, brilliant if it works out, but I think there's a lot of times where it doesn't. I think that's the one thing I learned is that I always had 
a three or five year plan. Certainly, like you're working, like is what I'd like to achieve and stuff. But as a couple, as a as we're starting out, like yeah, like oh, a couple of years in, I will have a family, and you, you kind of do. You mentally kind of build that in, and you draw your, your life plan up. And I've been seeing that about marriage for a long time. <laughs> and 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 it's almost like, do you know what? Like the rule that goes out the window that like, you can't. There are no plans, but God's plans. And strangely, throughout that, and it was an awful time to have the miscarriage, you know, that we've been through the IVF, of the loads of that, to have this huge high of getting pregnant. And then an awful of course, it must be this. This is obviously what's meant to be. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, crashing right back down again. We've hit rock bottom again. I didn't think I could be here again, but I am. Or we are, I should say. And, And does it feel worse? Yeah. You know, you said about hitting rock bottom again. The loss is... It almost, is it almost going beyond what you've experienced before? Because you've yeah. had that yeah. hope. You know, it was yeah. a life, and it's now no longer a life. It's a person, because they're talking about what do you want to do with the ashes, and yeah. how how do you want to proceed in that respect? Do you, yeah, like, do you want to bury it? Do you want to bury it? And to do you want to have a service for it? And you think, I had to talk about that. Yeah. And so that, that again, plays emotionally, you're like, wow what do you do but out of that I do remember thinking and we were having conversations like we know it can happen now. yeah we just wait and if it, we know it can happen it's up to God now as yeah. to when that might happen again yeah and we'll just keep trying and from that there was a sense of peace yeah but it was a long time well, till the next one yeah so essentially we had two years of just nothing yeah <laughs> so between tw- yeah 2014 through to 2016 we just had nothing and you know obviously trying and trying and nothing and I think that was again really tough because you're just waiting and waiting and hoping and thinking there must be a reason (laughs) I don't know what God's reason is but there's got to be a reason and and then yeah in 2016 we fell pregnant again sadly with all of the times always when we fell pregnant the timing just seemed to be perfect okay so it's it's now it must be yeah. now because it's perfect and the timing in, all li- lines we, up. We've and, moved into our current house that we're in now in Gosforth and we've done this up and made a lovely, beautiful family home. Home. And we mm-hmm. we were close to church, close to Lord's work. I was stable at my job. Financially, we're still secure. You think we were thinking, well, yeah, perfect time again. Like, what well, you can't argue with that. Because <laughs> I remember coming to visit and looking around this fantastic new home you had. And when you were showing us around, John, one of the things you said was, and this would be a nursery. Yeah. And maybe me just <laughs> didn't want to ask any questions or say anything like, are you just trying or well at stage or anything? But just that, I could just sense there was almost that there was a hope. Yeah. There was yeah. that expectation that this will hopefully be a nurse. You know, yeah. the, the plan was there. As you say, the timing seemed right and everything yeah. to do with it. We never gave up hope. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it was natural for people to, to think that. And I think some people approach that very gently. And, you know, you maybe thought it, but didn't say it. We had other people that would be like, oh, well, you must be next to get pregnant. And you just, th- those comments were maybe harder or you know similar to well-meaning well-meaning but but But, obviously don't know what you're going through yeah Yeah. and it's quite hard to hear one of the things I asked Graham and Sheree was what advice would you give to people who are well-meaning and their intentions are good but what they say and how they act is maybe not helpful 
Do you think there's a right or wrong way to approach a couple who are married and they don't have children? I think... People don't know what they're going through. Do you think there's a way that people can help? I think just listening to people and just... And I don't personally understand, but I'm sure it must be so difficult. Maybe it was harder to hear when people would say, "Well, well, maybe that's not God's plan for you. Or some people, you know, would who maybe disagreed with the IVF would say, well, just leave it to God. And clearly when you're trying to do IVF, you're not doing it, you know, you're trying to do it yourself and take it into your own hands. And um, that was hard. But yeah, I think even people say, well, you know, it can happen. We knew that. But for people to say almost to be like, well, you just, you know, you can get pregnant. But it doesn't discount for the loss that you're you're going through because, like John says, that's a real person. In the four miscarriages that we had, that was four people, that was four children. To us, they were real. Yeah. From the moment we we knew them of them, so yeah, for, for me, I found that that hard. Certainly for you as a woman, like physical as well as emotional. Yeah. yeah. Like you know that your body's changing and you've got a life in, inside you, and then that life is gone, and there is nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And as a, as a man, like, obviously, we don't carry children, so I can only, I suppose, imagine what it's like to carry another human being inside me. And just the, wow, like... But the how good, Yeah, how good that would feel, but also, like, the sheer losses we was in there, what, the pain that would feel to, like, not have that anymore. No, you did have it and not have it. So what stage did you get to with each four? Was it similar? Yes. So, well, with the first one, we we found out at about 11 weeks that we were miscarrying, but they think that the baby didn't make it past six or seven weeks. Okay. And that was a similar story with the following three miscarriages that we had. So we, within the space of, well, between June 2016 and February 2017, we had three miscarriages in the space of basically eight months. And must be hard going. Yeah, it was it's just an emotional roller coaster because every time you get so excited, and then every time you come back down again, and it's like, oh, here we go again. And there wasn't really anything to explain it. And the NHS, as amazing as they are with miscarriages, is a bit more checkered. I think the the process of having to go and find out that you're miscarrying is could perhaps do with some improvement and yeah the, there wasn't really anything to explain it we had tests but you can't have tests at the minute until you have three recurrent miscarriages um and there was very little results wise to say why it was happening and we just wanted answers and we wanted you know you can google things as much as you want but nothing's going to tell you when you're going to have a baby or why it's happening to you and yeah as much searching as you want it's not going to answer those questions so we, yeah we that was, it was about, a devastating time oh we were thinking about we'd saved up some money and we were seriously contemplating paying for one more round of IVF mm-hmm. and so we went to see the consultants to say look what options are on the table apart from IVF and and they were really good and they kind of went through the history and they said 
Well, there's been some research since you were last in. You can try a couple of these places. I think one place was in Liverpool, and there's this other place called Tommy's. Mm-hmm. And, and a study was being conducted by some, some doctors out at Warwick University for miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, they seem to be having some success, a level of success. There's no guarantee, obviously. But we'd recommend maybe going down and, and, and speaking to them, making an appointment. And, go, and so, do you know what? Let's do that. Because our issue was infertility. But then once we got pregnant, they just wouldn't stick. They, yeah. <laughs> we were losing yeah. the baby. And, and the, yeah. their research actually focused on that. It was like yeah. after the fact you've conceived, it was they focused on, well, why are the babies or the fetuses not developing? Why are they kind of not making it past? And I said, all I need is some super glue. I thought one doctor thought I'd probably lost it at that point. I said, just need some super glue and that, you know, basically just need to stick. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went to Tommy's yep. research and brilliant. they listened to us and were brilliant and advised that if we fell pregnant next time, they advised two courses of a steroid and a hormone, essentially, for the first 12 weeks to make the baby stick. Okay. So for us, that gave us hope, but obviously we still had to fall pregnant again. I think through that time and up until that point, it just showed completely our utter helplessness. There was nothing, sometimes in life with problems, you know, there's a solution and John is very solutions focused, but there was just, there was nothing that we could do. And it, from a spiritual point of view, it really kind of, brought us to our knees in terms of knowing that we had to pray and to trust in God and to leave it to God. And not that we weren't doing that before. No. As a human, you do things to try and help that process. Mm-hmm. But by doing what we'd been through, essentially, as Laura was saying, it was like there was nothing else we could do. It was completely out of our hands. The only thing you can do is completely just rely upon God in the hope that he will provide a family for us. Yeah. And we always felt that God was always saying, you will, your time isn't just yet. Obviously, we just didn't know when that was going to be. And that's the hardest thing is like just having to wait upon the Lord, as they say. Mm. That is every month that goes by. It is very, very difficult, especially when you see people around you, friends who have started their families or maybe you're on their second child and you're like, man, I would love just one, just you know, can yeah. we at least just get pregnant and get past 12 weeks? And I think... That would be, that'd be a yeah. blessing in itself, like, yeah. and then go from there and... You have all that hope, and then when we have those miscarriages, so each time it was around the six-week mark, and we were still interesting in God, but there was so much anger and doubt as to whether it would happen and questioning of God. And I think through that time and even now, I love the Psalms because they're such a portrayal of how life is so much for us now. I love how David, he praises God and then he questions God and he says how angry he is and and how he's feeling and then sums up at the end, but, but I still trust you. Like, I don't understand it. I'm hurting, but yeah, I trust you. And I think that was very much have so many songs just highlighted because it, they were so resonant and still are. So I wouldn't say that I lost my faith. I uh, doubted w- what God's plan was a lot and couldn't understand the reasons why. Like, why give us a child then to take it away? And that was tough. You mentioned the Psalms. Like, for me, the book of James was pivotal. Like, at the start, it talks about going through perseverance and stuff, and 
even just reading that now still is just really encouraging. Some people have actually asked us, like, I don't know how you got through that. And honestly, I think the faith, the faith mm-hmm. that we've had is the bedrock of how we've managed to get through that because there were different points where I'll be high and low will be low and vice versa, or we'll both be low or both like, emotionally all over the place. But the one thing that was consistent throughout was going to church every week. We still went every week. We still praised God. We still sang songs. We still prayed to him. And that didn't stop. But it would be very easy to kind of just go, well, clearly you're not listening to me and walk away. Mm-hmm. And, and we didn't. We we were like, there were days where like, I just don't want to go. And you know what? We're like, we'll go. We went on a Sunday, we drove there or we walked there, wherever it might be, where we were at the time. And coming out of church, we were like, man, that was so good. That was so that we needed to go today. You just felt certainly at times you just felt like God was talking to you indirectly through a message or through maybe a song. Yeah. Like, and certainly songs that you've got yeah. that were just God just talking yeah. directly to us then. And it was a real uplift. Similar to the Psalms, I think for me, I'm a worship leader at church and for me the songs were really important. And obviously so many of the songs are drawn from passages of the Bible and lyrics along the lines of you give and you take away yet my heart will choose to say blessed be your name and when I'm found in the desert place but blessed be your name you had to consciously make that decision almost each time and in each moment to say lord I don't understand this I feel rock bottom but I will choose to praise you I will choose to trust you and in the journey of all those years I think ultimately it taught us that we just had to give it to God we had to place our hopes our fears our need into his hands and to trust in him and his plan for us and I think in doing that uh, you know my good friend said when you're worried place your anxieties in God and just say Lord I just want your will to be done and actually in doing that there came such a peace because you knew really it's not in my hands it's nothing really that I can do I might be pregnant or might be hoping to get pregnant but ultimately it's in God's hands and with that there was just this peace that there was one who was greater than me who was in control who knew the plans that he had for us and I think that was such a strong element of our faith and in a strong element of us not giving up my granddad often when he would sign off his emails he'd he'd sign it off klu keep looking up it was so true there's a song by elevation worship and it says like i will look up all the worries of this world i'll lay them at your feet and surrender every anxious thought for perfect peace i will look up that i will look back and see that you're faithful i look ahead believing you're able and knowing that our god is a faithful god and a loving god and at one point, you know, we had to make peace with the fact that maybe God's plan wasn't for us to have children and that we had to be content and we were content in each other and content in God and content in how we could serve him in other ways by using our house and the space that we had to serve church and have people from church who needed it at time times to stay over or through hospitality, but to try and yeah, be content in other ways as hard as that was at the time, not knowing. And I always said, if someone could say, do you know what, in two years' time, you'll have a child, then brilliant. And it's like that with the waiting, isn't it? If someone said, in two years' time, you'll have whatever it is you're waiting for. You're like, okay, fine. All right, I'll sit back. 
but it, it's not, and that's obviously where your faith comes in and where your faith's tested. So while obviously you would never have wanted to go through the experiences you did, do you think it's helped in your relationship with God and your faith in the Lord Jesus to have gone through those things? Yeah. Definitely. The trust and faith. You, you don't know timings. You always like to think you're in control. That's the human element of us, is that you always try and do things yourself, but ultimately God is in control. And I think through this whole process, you know, as I said at the start, we felt like God was going to provide a family. We never felt like it was never... I think maybe at one point, actually, we thought, he was just not right. Maybe we need to come to terms with that. Yeah, going through those trials and reading, like, for me, like I say, the book of James at the start is... And I'd encourage anyone who's kind of going through a trial to read the book of James at the start because it's, it's, it's really encouraging. I remember, like, some Sundays thinking, I don't want to be here, and then going and being so uplifted by it thinking actually God is so central he is just so in control of it all and I think yeah that and peace from knowing peace that from knowing. he's in control and us as a relation our relationship is actually stronger for it as well because we've both learned to rely upon each other to get through different things and, and rely on God and rely upon God and, and just kind of like praying with each other yeah we felt obviously that we were very much in it together and you know it can be a testing time for couples very much so and testing obviously on your faith it's a relationship and God is at the heart of it and in control and there's so much crying out you know shouting at him almost like why is this happening especially when we were losing the babies you just couldn't find an answer however many verses that you read it just is it, that was also it encouraging though is that as you've alluded to through the psalms god does love you it is a relationship just like a, a child with their parent they can get upset you can be upset with god don't obviously get too angry but you can say like i don't understand i'm, I'm angry now like i've gone through the waiting stage and stuff like what is going on I think there's no harm in that as long as you also recognize that, well, he is in control and he will answer, just maybe not necessarily like there and then. There's no yeah. reason as to why you can't question God in that respect, I'd say. I think it's easy for us to say that now, sitting back in the position that we're in. It was encouraging but to hear from other people saying that as well, like read the Psalms, listen yeah. to what David says, as well as like, he praises, he, but he cries out. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, what, what, why, are you, why are you doing this to me? In pain and in anger. And yet he still praises God throughout. And, and again, that was like, well, David does it. Why, we should be doing that. And that's exactly what we were doing. But we got, you know, our close friends around us really helped. And you know, our church as a whole weren't all aware. But just being there and having the support of a church family around you. And to know that the people that did know the situation that we were in their prayers and to have our closest friends pray over us several times and the elders of our church pray over me and especially when I became pregnant with James having our closest friends there praying over us and then being there in the joy and praying when he was born over me and us was hugely emotional and special because we shared a lot of that journey with them as well. And that really helped, I think. I do remember there was a point, and after we'd gone through some IVF, the hospital had noticed a cyst near us. Okay. And for me, that just brought back huge memories of like my mum for like ovarian cancer. So I was like, oh my goodness, like we're going through this. Now my wife might have something serious. And so you had to then have an operation mm. to look into that. And then they were saying, look, if it's on the ovary itself, we might have to take one out. 
I will already struggling. Yeah. Please don't cut it down to 50% chance. Yeah. <sighs> what is going on? Praying so much around that. And obviously you went in for the operation. It was fine. Everything was fine. But that was a huge stress as well because obviously, again, it was you and your body going through another operation that was like, wow, we weren't expecting that. But then it brought back huge, huge emotions for me about my mum and to deal with that as well. That was particularly difficult, I remember. But again, coming through that, like, actually, it was okay. They were able to, to kind of get rid of the cyst and it wasn't on the ovary. It was like, wow, answer the prayer there. But for a period of time, it was certainly it was like, okay, we're struggling and there's a good chance that there might be a need for an operation to remove one of those ovaries. And again, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. at such a young age as well, you think that. Yeah. So moving forward, mm-hmm. you mentioned the Book of James several times. Yeah. And perhaps you tell us about, you know, you did a spoiler on it. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. so, yeah, our last miscarriage had been in 2016, in the February, but in the December of that year, we just got a kitten. <laughs> so we thought, well, <laughs> we were here. We've got no kids, we'll have, we have a kitten. <laughs> anyway, a couple, couple weeks after that, we found out that we were pregnant. So again, that rush of joy and then all the anxiety. And again, at that point, my friend said to me, just give it to God. Every time that you're worried, just, just pray for God. I give this pregnancy to you, your will be done. And just to do that was peace in itself, kind of lifted part of that weight off. So, yeah, so I took the the course of drugs that the Tommy Centre had prescribed and we went through, by that point, we were regulars within the hospital system for early pregnancy assessment. So we went to the early pregnancy assessment centre of the hospital and at six weeks we had a scan and we heard James's heartbeat, or the heartbeat of our baby, and just tears of joy to know yeah, that at that point we had a heartbeat because we hadn't had a heartbeat at any of the scans. Okay. So even to have just got to that stage, I think it's a miracle that anyone gets pregnant because the intricacies of how it happens, it's even in IVF, they can't make it happen every single time. And you have a greater appreciation and understanding for the preciousness of life and just how intricate it is. And just seeing that tiny heartbeat at six weeks was just incredible. And we went back every couple of weeks at that point for more scans yeah. and we got to 12 weeks and then we got to 20 weeks. And we didn't know what we were having. No. We didn't want to know. We just... Yeah. I didn't care if it was a boy or a girl. We just wanted I just to be healthy. Wanted to be healthy. To make it through. Um, and, and just to make it through, yeah. Yeah. And, and in the end, the baby was a little tinker, was breech. So I had a C-section. And even before they pulled the baby out, we were in tears in the operating theatre. Yeah. And 8th of August, 2018. All the eights. All the eights. Um, they held him up like Lion King moment. It was a Lion King moment. And it was... And your wash is supposed to have been off the chart. It was, oh, yeah. I mean, just tears of joy, wasn't yeah. it? Just, I, I remember they said, oh, I bought a big camera, big DSLR camera with me in it. And it's, oh, you can bring that in. And I remember thinking, why on earth would I want to shove a camera lens in my wife's face? While she's giving birth, I think I'll just leave it back in the in the cupboard. Thanks. But so we could take a camera in. I'm sure my wife doesn't want a huge camera lens right in the face. You want the press turning up. Exactly. So I got some, you know, some couple of pictures and stuff. It's just a, an amazing occasion. And then you kind of just well, we named him James. Yeah. 
we, we toyed with several names, but really, I think for quite a long period of time, we just thought James was the name. Yeah. For, for, for what we were. If it was a boy, it was called, it was going to be called James Gill. Actually, we didn't really have any. We had a few names we couldn't really nail it down, but I think. It was down to three with, with the boys. Yeah. And, but I think really we always knew it was going to be James. It's quite fitting that you spoke about James and how James, the book of James, and how it speaks of perseverance. Yeah. It seems quite a fitting name. Yeah, and actually the verse that we had at his dedication and is actually on the wall in his room and that we used on the cards it was from James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. But yeah, that every good and perfect gift is from above and yeah. he, he is a complete gift and such an answer to prayer. And my grandparents were praying for us from the point that they knew that we were trying and sadly both of them passed away before James was born and my grandma when she found out that we were pregnant that first time and we told her before the 12 weeks and they she was just so ha- happy on the phone yeah, and, yeah I remember speaking to her on the phone she was so Delighted and yeah, yeah, such a yeah, and then just it's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, obviously it broke her heart when we miscarried, and just people had prayed for us for such a long time, and and we had prayed for such a long time, and to see that answered in such an amazing way, and yeah. he was healthy and just incredible. Yeah, it affects in every way. I mean, he's an amazing little boy now. I mean, he he pushes the wrong buttons at times, but. You know, that's what little boys do. But he's just, you know, I wouldn't change him for the world. The day of his birth was... Really was, special. Was, yeah, you, you just never forget that. As a parent, you just never forget that. Certainly, if obviously, from what we've been through to then actually having James was just, I think, even more magical and more, like, amazing and mm-hmm. special. And, and I'm not... I don't want to take any away from, like, other parents who've had, who've had children, but... For what we had been through, it just this whole journey from start to finish of through miscarriages and then questioning, yeah, if questioning, yeah, and then all of a sudden then getting pregnant again, and then wow, it's actually this is the furthest we ever got. Oh my goodness, right now we actually have a child. It's like oh, we actually done it, yeah, and it's and just it's that is God's faithfulness. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And not just that, but James has a little sister now. Yeah, so thankfully, praise God, it wasn't another seven years. And we thought, do you know what? <laughs> Let's, we want a family. We want more than one. Let's just even see if that's God's plan. Certainly when friends of his started having siblings and I thought, oh, no, here we go again. It's just going to be more years of trying. And it took four months. Four <laughs> and months. then we were pregnant again. And again, all those hopes and gosh, the nursery's decorated. You've got got it all planned. And again, just praying and hoping that it would stick. And I've repeated the same process that Tommy's had recommended the first time. And it worked and the pregnancy was fine, albeit through now lockdown. Yeah. You had spoken to Tommy's COVID. again, though, once yeah. you got pregnant and said, look, we're pregnant again. Yeah. Would you advise us still to kind of 
do the same treatments yeah. and, and they chatted to you over the phone and, you, and, and they said yes absolutely like the research still suggests that yeah. it wasn't just a case of we'll take the same drugs you know we, we did do a consultation but yeah, sort of medical advice shall I say just that God had answered our prayers so quickly yeah. was just an answer to prayer I remember when we went to the again we got referred to the early pregnancy ward because of our previous history and so obviously you're nervous again and you know, oh my goodness, are we like, hopefully this one's going to be okay. Cause you just don't know. And then saw the heartbeat and we're like, oh, wow, like, just amazing again. John was terrified it would be twins. Uh, I, well, twins <laughs> runs in the lower side of the family. And obviously I thought, we've got one. I wasn't bargaining on another two just yet. Um, just one more would be good. And then, yeah, <laughs> for it, I was like, oh, it could be twins or it could be twins. <laughs> I don't know if I could cope with twins. He was born on the 11th, 11th of August. August. 2020 and he's the 8th of August 2018 so that's good because I much really like to share birthdays yeah but that was very very close yeah uh, so yeah a, a, yeah a healthy pregnancy and through uh, covid and lockdown and the pandemic um so it was an interesting time and obviously pregnant with a toddler so it wasn't as restful a pregnancy um but healthy all the same and then john contracts covid at a time when he should be helping you <laughs> yeah, and yeah christmas yeah isolate in the house yeah in a, a part of the house by himself yes you did yeah. you ever see any test results to see if it was <laughs> true positive <laughs> tests so no, quiet time yeah, yeah definitely positive yeah that was a weird time because it was just before christmas uh i was like yeah, the week leading up to the week before was like two for Christmas. I just couldn't stand anything. And it was very strange. I was really, really tired the few days beforehand. And I had my sense of smart. I was just really tired. I said to Laura, I just want to sleep. I just want to, like, I'm going for a nap at lunchtime at work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I got better really early. And I wake up, I'm so, so tired. I can't. Maybe it's just a bug, like a bit of a cold, a bit achy. And then I just, all of a sudden, I couldn't smell. I couldn't taste. And then Lord, you need to go and get a test. So I did. And then for that, probably the first three or four days, you know, look, I, I was fortunate. Obviously, I know people have died through COVID, but I was fortunate enough to like, my symptoms weren't too bad. And yeah, I was just, I was really tired. I just couldn't smell. And it's like, they, they were my main symptoms. But yeah, I was isolating in, in, in the top house, but obviously then Laura had to isolate. Kids had to isolate. Kids had to isolate. You had testing, and you came out as negative. James came out as negative. I was positive. So in order to stop the spread, I was like basically put in one room at the house, and, and at the top of the house. And we basically told James that um, Daddy was working and kind of away, and, and it was really hard because trying to chat to him on the phone. And he's like, he doesn't like that very much. But he knows he wants to see you in person. But he didn't know I was in the house. Oh, okay. So I was upstairs. I said, Laura, bring my food up to me. And, and you didn't realise. Basically, I had three kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For Laura, that was really incredibly tough because James wasn't allowed at nursery. So you had to look after him. Yeah. And he's like a two-year-old, needing all the attention in the world. You've got a four-month-old daughter who needs also needs attention. And then you've got me who needed food couldn't do anything but after your experiences of these problems that you're kind of <laughs> yeah, off the street where one said oh, yeah, you're kind of glad oh yeah like we just take yeah. it in our stride now yeah and I think having Olivia almost the unexpected part of our journey and just 
unexpected amount of game. Unexpected so in the fact it came so quickly. I mean, we we did you know, we wanted her and we planned for it, yeah. but yeah, just we never imagined at some point maybe even having one child and to now have two. And, you know, I wouldn't repeat seven years. Probably no, don't know the full reasoning for how God played it, but we just know that his timing is is perfect and the fact that the kids are just two years apart and so close to going age hopefully they'll we hope be the best of friends James as they loves grow his up. sister and yeah James like, he's always Olivia he always goes a I hug her and goes and gives her a kiss and just as a parent seeing that I think at first you think, are they going to get along? Are they going to like each other? And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there'll be times where they hate each other as they're growing up. But in the current moment, it's just brilliant and lovely to see that James just totally adores his sister mm-hmm. and just always, like, at bedtime and stuff, he goes, I, I give her a kiss goodnight, night-night, you know, and it's just it's yeah, wonderful. It's nice. And he goes and they're sitting down together, he goes, we're best friends, and he holds her hand and... She loves that. She giggles away at him. She's, yeah, and she's smiley and happy and content. Yeah. You know, when I look at our family and look at the chaos that you have with two young kids, a baby and a toddler, and how exhausted you are and bewildered most of the time, and yet I wouldn't I wouldn't change that, that story. If there was a, a couple listening who are going through similar experiences perhaps not for as long a period of time as you went through, what advice would you give? I realise that's a massive put-you-on-the-spot question, but... So to answer that question, I think knowing that the Bible's quite clear in, in multiple areas that God knows best. At first, to kind of really understand that, it's hard to hear and to accept and and God's in control because as I said several times before like the human nature of us always likes to be in control you just do you just like to put things in place make plans and everything and 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 God's very good at just shattering those at times other times he's like absolutely that is the right path for you that's the right plan that I want you to take Um, certainly for us you know it was definitely a case of just listen but more importantly just wait Mm -hmm. just wait upon me and I would say one of the key things is if you're going through a trial certainly what we were going through with with miscarriages but also just trying to get pregnant that it's it's probably very easy to kind of maybe walk away from your faith and I don't say that lightly everyone goes through trials and everyone has different ways of dealing with stuff but it's in those trials that God really works in your life and you actually you grow in your faith by going through those trials Uh, and certainly I can look back now after going through it and think I'm better for it I know Laura is too Mm -hmm. and collectively we are better for it Mm -hmm. serving serving God and that was the big thing of actually telling ourselves we need to keep going we need to keep resting on him we need to keep waiting on him we need to keep going to church we need to be part of the church we need to be involved in the activities like i was involved with the youth work at, at my church not crashing stuff but I was with like you know the younger mm-hmm. the younger people we would call it space and and that was challenging but equally it was rewarding at the same time and i felt like well, actually that was what god wanted me to do and i kind of jumped into it and it was Actually, it was beneficial because it kept me grounded. It kept me in his word as well. 
um, at a time where I could have easily just shut up the book and walked away and I thought, well, clearly it's, it's not meant to be. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, definitely I would say, look, as hard as it is and as difficult as it is, definitely, definitely just, you know, read the Bible, listen to the Psalms, Actually, not just read them, but listen to what David said and as Laura said. I would encourage people to read the start of James because, again, I think it's a very encouraging word to listen to. It was very encouraging for me. And, and chatting chatting to your friends. Don't be afraid to just give your closest friends uh, and say, like, what we're going through. Like, it, it, to, to lighten the load, to lighten the burden of, I think of, of going there's through. No, there's no... People don't talk about infertility. They don't talk about baby loss and miscarriage. And, and I think people need to do more of that it's it's common big medical conditions and, and there's no shame in it i would definitely encourage people to to talk and be open with those that they feel comfortable talking with i'm not saying put a notice out at church on the sunday but to you know to talk to your elders and your leaders and mm-hmm. to to have them pray over us multiple times yeah. it was so encouraging and to know that God's healing hand could come through prayer over me with them to be an encouragement to us but yeah to keep talking with each other as a couple hmm. you know I feel like we could face anything now with the trials that we've been through um and that God's been faithful to us and kept us together as a couple through yeah. that and stronger as a couple. I think if we hadn't even had any children, yeah. it, let's say the end result was that we didn't have children and that we were, well, we were still having miscarriages or we were then going through a period where we just weren't getting pregnant. I know if I were leaving through that period, like now if this was the case, I still feel the same, knowing that God's still in my life is just as important on that. And I think this... I don't want us to sound like perfect Christians, A, because there isn't one, and B, because that's just not us, and we're so far from perfect. And it might sound as well that we have it together, and I don't, we don't. And with kids, gosh, trying to have that quiet time with God and have that reading time and prayer time and that relationship that we, <laughs> that we want is often more challenging because there's never a spare moment really in the day and you're so frazzled when you do get it. But it's a season of life, isn't it? And But to just know that God's in there and have someone said to have arrow prayers. <laughs> That's what I do now, you know, those quick prayers with God, but to still know that he's in it and he's in the, he's in it, the chaos with us. But, you know, there were times through all of this that our faith was probably hanging on by a thread. We were hanging on by a thread and to try and, maintain that hope and that faith was really really challenging i think you know being honest about that with whoever you choose to share that with definitely your other half and a friend at church or a leader at church so that they can be in it and pray with you too yeah to do that with the close friends to pray it through with them to do life that part of life with them was just so important and so helpful and 
to choose parts of the Bible actually at the time that resonated and um, definitely didn't dip into Deuteronomy at that point of life but definitely you know the Psalms and for John James and I just read and read and read the Psalms and just clung on to them and just clung on to the hope and the faith that it, it would happen and that, that God would have a plan and it, yeah it was so all-consuming and I know that our, our faith in God's plan for us is rested in salvation and through what his son did for us and so that has to come first and foremost but it's hard not to be consumed by your life at the time yeah. and that waiting whatever it is that you're waiting for for us it was a family but you know people are waiting for so many other things um, and it's hard not to be anxious but mm. to just I think coming for me down to that simplicity of that prayer of Lord, I give it to you, your will be done. And I still do that now with the move and the uh, anything else that is big almost, you know, even for the small things, but the big things definitely. Lord, your will be done. I'm giving it to you and your will be done. And with that, I think for me came such an enormous peace because it was a weight lifted off. I would normally end by asking if there's a, a particular Bible verse or passage that is precious to you for some reason. Is it the ones that you've mentioned in passing or have you a particular verse that you would call it as being important? It may not be linked to your experience that we've discussed. It may just be a Bible verse that has always had significance to you or there may not be one particular one. Sure. So for me, as I said, the book of James was just pivotal of getting through it. There were other verses, but for me, I always referred to James. I just felt like God was directly talking to me through that book. And so at the start of James in chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's just... I remember chatting to one of our elders at our church. I remember him actually saying, like, how, how am I getting on? Like, he knew the situation. And he said, well, we're praying for you. Uh, how are you getting on? And it was over a game of table tennis at the church. And I said, I, I, do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right at the moment. I'm, I'm reading the book of James. He said, wow, it's a great book. I said, I know there's a, just the start of it just hits you in the face. Like, straight away, like, I just felt like God was talking to me. And then... And yeah, so for me, those, those verses have always resonated. And obviously, the every good and perfect gift comes from above. Now, like I look at James, I think, what a perfect gift. A long-waited for gift. A long-waited for, but good and perfect, and that we cherish every day. Like, just <laughs> Most of the time. Apart from he's doing his toddler, two-year-old. He's doing his terrible twos. <laughs> yeah, but, see, but, see, but see, I mentioned to say, how are you doing here? Well, James wasn't good and perfect today. <laughs> no, no. But overall, we were we were looking back, weren't we, mm. the other day from like first of lockdown, actually a year ago lockdown to like this week. Just the change that we've seen in him. You, you forget how quickly they develop when you see them every day. And his speech and the way that he looks and the way he, he, he interacts with things dramatically changed. And he, now you look at it, I can't even... Recall you not speaking properly a year ago, and yeah. now he's just talking non-stop. Do you want me to do my verses? Yeah. Well? 
So I don't just have one verse. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of the worship songs were really important to me, but I think also some of the other verses that I kind of held on to were probably the, the kind of the common ones that you might think of, but the Psalms, uh, whole chunks of Psalms, but as well, Jeremiah 29, the, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Um, that was really important, one that I clung to. And Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I love the idea of God and the, the wings, the, the wings like eagles that kind of encompass pursue and you know that's picked up in psalm 91 and the other psalms but that he's refuge the one that shelters you um through the storms that and the trials that are going on i love that analogy and i love the way that in matthew they talk about you know look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather but into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them so why do you worry it's so easy to worry in the smallest and the biggest of situations, yet God clothes and feeds the birds and he has it covered. I love those verses and yeah. and that idea of just God being there and looking up to him. Hmm. There's a one of the songs, Blessed Be Your Name, yeah. and I remember... Well, Laura as well. You know, we quite often sing that at church, so hard to and sing. it's a very, very difficult song to sing when you're going through something like a miscarriage, or because there's a line in it that says, yeah. "I give and take away." Yeah, you give and you take away. And, yeah, and and that it's a great song to sing, but it's also very hard to sing at the same time. But one that actually is just praising God for no matter what. And it's just, it just ultimately reaffirms like he is in control. They resonated so much. And many people not even being aware yeah. of all the weight of those words on a personal level. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we, we, we got to James's dedication, there were a lot of tears, tears of joy, but a lot of yeah. choked tears. Yeah, because we hadn't, again, it's a personal thing. Yeah. It's not something that you necessarily, some people might want to, um, but more often than not people would might tell a couple of people and, and you know for support and stuff mm-hmm. i remember during the dedication for james and yeah it was a pr- brilliant service and there's a lot of tears of mainly of joy but just people hearing for the first time in our church wow like i didn't know you'd been through that like we wouldn't know mm-hmm. i was like i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that you didn't know like did we put on a brave face on that or was it just that we were you know, we were so focused on the Lord that we were kind of serving him through church that we were just coming each week and we were, like, getting involved in the activities. We were helping the running of the church that, in a way, they didn't see our pain and suffering, but our closest friends maybe did because they could. They, we were chatting to them. I do remember, like, yeah, there was, there was certainly uh, a lot of tears on that, on that Sunday morning that we had the dedication service. But it was good. And, and I think what's important with that is you might not know what someone else is going through, but even just sometimes a conversation that might pop up with someone like a friend who didn't know or like someone who was older than us, would, if they might say something or give you a verse, I had this verse come into my head and I'll add that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted to share it with you. I'm like, okay. And they share it and it's like, wow, it was brilliant. It was great. And, and 
or you just have a conversation and you think, I really needed that conversation. Uh, thank you for like being in that moment, in that time, and yeah. just walk. So yeah, like conversations that you have with people within the church, they might not know what you're going through, are just as encouraging as well. Yeah. Sometimes, as a church, taking that time to yeah. talk to, to just yeah, chat, to talk, just talk and to be kind to people, yeah, and to be a family because that's what your church is. And yeah, yeah our church probably didn't know half the time that what they were said or mm. what they were doing were getting us through, but or just being with them was getting us through. And that just shows the importance of God's family yeah. around you. I think, yeah, definitely, like, don't walk away. Definitely keep going, because you, you need it. Yeah. <laughs> and God needs you. God needs you to kind of, you know, to, to continue to do his work and work for him. And Your experiences can be used to help others going through it. Yeah. You know, I often speak about how I can have great sympathy for people. That's nothing compared to people who can have real empathy, who've walked their path and gone through their trials and know what it's like to be in their position. And that's important because I think having people who can say, look, this is what I've been through. And that's where I think, you know, having listened to Graham and Cherie, while not a perfect match, their story probably spoke to you more than it would speak to me. Mm-hmm. on a more most basic level because you can put yourself in mm-hmm. their shoes. Yeah. And I think to lose a child at, gosh, any stage of life is devastating. And how do you come back from that? And to lose a child you've not even known yet but hoped for also still feels real. And, yeah, that's why their story resonated so much. Just so, so much heartache and yet how faithful God was. Yeah. Not one to watch whilst pushing a buggy round the streets where you live. <laughs> because I didn't look a great state when I got home. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember you coming back, actually. You been for a walk and just listen to Dan's podcast. Oh, like, oh, which one did you listen to? Oh, okay. When I read, I've just been listening to the... Uh, uh-oh, what have I done? Yeah. But, but, I'm, but I'm glad it was at least helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there, there were other couples in our church, one other couple at, at one point that were having similar issues, and even just to know that and to talk it through with, with them was was encouraging. So, yeah, just for people to know that they're not alone, that this is probably a common miscarriage or infertility or both, is, you know, or fertility issues, a common issue for a lot of couples and just to be sensitive to that in many ways yeah. um, thank you both very much for sharing your testimony you're welcome you're welcome it's been good to talk about it actually just you know and hopefully it is an encouragement i would say for, for the people that are going through it and absolutely you know if people want to get in contact with us then yeah, we're more than happy welcome. to kind of talk with them and sit down with them and eat, pray with them if that's what they want. Yeah. You know, we, we are currently in Newcastle for the next couple of months, hopefully, but then long-term move to London. But that doesn't mean we can't pick up the phone if it's someone to get in contact with us or, you know, however means them. But I actually would love to chat with them. If they feel like it would be beneficial and, and worthwhile to them, then mm-hmm. certainly wouldn't want people to sit there in silence quiet. We can't talk to anyone. There's no one to talk to. No one's been through this. I can't do it, but I can't do it alone. That, that's awful. Mm. And 
I've got the answers. We don't have the answers. No. You know, and having but, our friends close but, by is what got us through. Ab- absolutely, chatting to people who who really just listened mm-hmm. was was beneficial. You did mention uh, the place in Warwickshire. Mm. Yeah, Tommy's. Tommy's. So we'll possibly put a link on the podcast information just if anyone wants to check them out. Yeah. For their own benefit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they were brilliant. Tommy's Mm -hmm. brilliant. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, and please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino was America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.